Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, Even for the words that uh, seem to be difficult to hear, God, I pray uh, as we finish this series in the book of Job, may we see the comfort that comes um, by your grace and, uh, and how you are a God who is massive and huge, yet uh, compassionate for all. And I pray, God, that that would be heard here this morning. May your spirit guide and lead us in this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Imagine that uh, I were to give you uh, uh, just a smattering of things and uh, told you that uh, the task is that you have to split these things into two categories. So let's say um, I were to give you these, these things, uh, a cardinal, a dandelion, God, that's the Trinity symbol, all right, an angel, Donald Trump, and a chicken, And I were to say, all right, I want you to put these things into two separate categories. How would you do it? See, if I'd be willing to bet, I would guess um, that you would look at these things and maybe one of the answers that you would come forward with is you'd say, all right, the stuff that's going to go in the yellow circle is the stuff that I like and the stuff that I don't like will go in the blue circle. So if you're a Cubs fan, you're like Cardinals definitely in the stuff I don't like, right? If, if you love Jesus, all right, I'm going to put God in, in the good side. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but President Trump would go in one of those two sides, right? And, and maybe that's how you would divide these things. You'd say, all right, the things that I like and the things that I don't like. Or, or maybe another way that you would do that is you would say, all right, um, the things that are human and the things that are kind of not human. That being like, okay, maybe God and angel sort of thing. Not sure if I put Trump in the human category or not. It's a low blow, I know, all right? And, uh, and then cardinals, animals, all those sorts of stuff in the other one. Or maybe you would put the spiritual things in one category and the not so spiritual things in another. I bring this up for the point of this. That if, if Job, <clears throat> and I would argue the, the fathers of the church, historically, the Bible, would look at these two circles, and if they were given these kind of weird random assortment of things, there would be a clear distinction, something that they would see. In fact, what they would split would be this. <clears throat> They would split it like this, that there is God in one category and then everything else. You might say, wait a second here, Pastor Dave. Uh, I know my Bible. It says that I am created in the image of God. And, And I get that. And I would certainly say that we as human beings bear the image of God and we are unique inside of his creation. But it's to the point that I'm making here 
that sometimes we place ourselves in this category of where we think that we are God. And we see, and we fail to see rather, this distinction between God and us. And today, my prayer would be, as Job would find out at the end of his letter, my prayer would be that we would find comfort with this truth, that God is above and beyond what we can imagine but that also we would comfort others with this message as well because at first glance, it seems to be rather harsh. Today, uh, we finish our series. We've been talking now for six weeks on the book of Job. If you don't know who Job is, it is literally the title of a book in the Bible in the Old Testament. Some people would say it's the oldest book that we have in the Bible. And in it, we've been uh, listening to the wisdom that Job gives us. In fact, that's what it's classified as in the Bible. It's known as a book of wisdom. And what we believe is that it's teaching us how to walk with God in the storm. And if you've attempted to read the book of Job, you've probably gotten through the first three chapters and you've been like, man, this is some pretty interesting stuff. I really like this dialogue. And then there's a whole big section where you're like, I am so confused. I have no idea what is going on, which is the majority of the book. And then we get to the end of it. Well, if this is your first week here, you came on a good Sunday because we're at the end of it. All right. But let me catch you up on where we've been so far. Because what we learn is that Job is a man who is known as a big deal. Literally. He's a big deal. He's the most known person in the East is what we read. Many leather-bound books with his names. All right? Job is a guy who not only is a big deal, but he is a devout follower of God. And then what happens, we read, is that Satan comes forward And he says this to God. He says that does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. What Satan is saying to God is that the only reason that Job follows you is because he has a really great life. The only reason he believes in you is because everything has gone in his favor. So God says, all right, let's see. And so suffering comes in Job's life. He loses his wealth, loses his family, his health begins to deteriorate. He has friends that come to him and offer him some really poor advice. In fact, we skipped over this, but there's a a strange moment where his wife comes forward and she says this to him. She says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. It's great encouragement. But Job said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women who speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
So from this moment forward, we get into 35 chapters, literally 35 chapters of friends coming forward to Job and offering all kinds of advice. Moments of Job lamenting and crying out to God. The friends are convinced that that Job deserves the suffering, that he's got some kind of secret sin that hasn't been revealed yet. But Job's like, there's not, that's not what this is all about. And he continues to cry out. He continues to come to God. He does not curse God and die. And then God shows up. After all of this, finally, God Almighty appears. And it's interesting Because God appears not in an Uber or a Lyft, not on a cloud or as a human being. Instead, he appears, as we read in Job's writing, as a whirlwind. This massive storm, literally a whirlwind that comes forward. And And it appears to be incredibly destructive at first. And just like that idiot who like has their cell phone out and is like, oh, here comes the tornado, right? We'll see how close I can get to it. We see that what appears to be very harmful, dangerous at the beginning actually seems to bring some great comfort for Job. And I hope that as we hear God's response, you would have that same reaction as well. Because God begins this way with Job. He says, you know, who is this who's darkened my counsel, who's come to me asking all of these questions? Job wants answers to the question of why am I suffering? That's what Job wants. Tell me why this is happening to me. And God responds out of the whirlwind This way, he says to Job, I will question you, and you make it known to me. God speaks, and he says, I'm not going to answer your questions. Instead, you're going to answer my questions. This is what what God says to Job. He begins. He says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? God begins by like asking Job, where were you when everything was put into place and being? He continues on. He says, where were you? When I laid out the borders of the sea, when I determined that this is as far as it's going to go, where were you when when the sun rose? Do you have the ability to command it to come up every single morning, God says? He says, have you seen the storehouses of hail that come into all of creation 
Or even have you held the Pleiades, the belt of Orion in your hand, God says to Job. It's literally a list that he goes down asking question after question after question. And I don't know if you were with us last week uh, during the open forum. I'm sure you heard it. This is my favorite question that God asks Job when we were here at church. Remember last week, like Sunday afternoon when there was that huge thunder and like lightning crack? I don't know if you guys lost power. We lost power here at church quickly. It was just one of these moments where it was like, Oh, dang. All right, something's going down, right? You've had those moments before. God even says this. He asks this question to Job. He says, can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? God himself says, can you even command the lightning that comes in creation? See, it's in this moment that God is identifying the big and the small of all of creation, all of the things that have been put into place, from the beauty of the creation to the bigness of it, and even to the complex and small. He even goes into talking about goats, donkeys, horses, and hawks. You can read it all. It's in Job chapter 38. All of the questions that God brings to Job. And it's in this moment, to use a modern term, that God just kind of flexes out on Job. Right? It's just like, dude, you're just not on my level, bro. You can't do what I do. And it's as if Job, or God rather, is stating what we talked about at the beginning. I'm on a different level. I'm the God who's created all of these things, even you. Know that there's a difference, a distinction between us. Today, I hope that you would find comfort in the bigness of God. Knowing that, that he can tell lightning where it's supposed to go or that he laid the foundations of everything and put them into place. That God isn't just somebody that you like put in your pocket or just put as a part of your life, but he is somebody that deserves all of who we are. And and I fear at times that sometimes we think that we as people are created without limitations. As if that we can just do everything and the world is all ours and we just need to work a little bit harder and we'll achieve and get it. And sometimes, I think many times in our lives, we are confronted with the reality that we have limitations. It's just a matter of understanding that we can't do everything. And that is okay. That's not meant to be a condemnation. That's meant to be a reality for us. 
Those limitations can actually be healthy for us. For Job, they were. See, Job, in, in his response to God, he finally speaks and he says this. It says, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Literally. I've spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And if God didn't prove his point by the first list, God goes into another list of things of that he is able to do. And it continues on here. And Job gets to the place of where he answers again. And he says, I know you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours was, can be thwarted. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and in ashes. See, Job, in the midst of all of this, he covers his mouth, he repents, he is silent. Now, it's important to note this, that uh, I don't think that what God is prescribing here is that this is how this relationship always works with us and him. It's not a matter of that, like, I just need to, like, shut up, and God just wants me to remain silent. Because we read of other places in the Bible, and we read even of Job, that he cries out to God, he laments to God, he offers uh, prayers of mercy. He comes to him with offerings of praise and thanksgiving, and, and, and God says that that is a good thing. And, and I would be willing to argue that, that God is willing to take your confusion, your frustration, and, and he's big enough that he wants you to bring that to him, and you don't have to feel guilty about that or shameful because of it. I don't think that this is a relationship where God's just like, you just shut up and let me speak. But I think what we need to understand is that God also wants to remind us of who he is. And oftentimes we can get into this relationship where we just think that, you know, me and God, we're just kind of buddies and friends. God is God. He's created all things. And yes, he wants to hear from us, but we also have to remember of how good and big and powerful he is. And this comes out in the midst of suffering and struggle in our lives often. I get this because in those moments, in the moments when things become difficult and tough, in fact, the moments that Satan had tempted Job with, remember from the beginning of the book, that the only reason that Job follows you is because things are easy and good for you. And in the same way for us, when we experience suffering, struggle, pain, we too are in the midst of that place. And I would be willing to argue that in those times, when we're searching for the why, we just want an explanation. Sometimes the best response can be just silence. Silence from the point of being willing to trust. Uh, I remember uh, when, when Malachi, my son, 
uh, was about three or four years old. And, um, and he absolutely hated uh, like learning how to swim. I don't know if you've had this experience before, um, but he, he was just one of those kids that he hated having like water in his face and eyes and stuff like that. And so um, we signed him up for swimming lessons and we were down in Hot Springs, Arkansas, uh, where we were living at the time. And I remember like Gretchen uh, going to swimming lessons and just telling me Malachi just like sat on the side and he didn't do anything. I was like, boy, that's a waste of $30. And so um, as my personality type, I was like, I'm gonna fix this, we're gonna deal with it, all right? And so uh, we set out one day, excuse me, and we went to the YMCA and I was like, I'm gonna teach Malachi how to swim. So here I am, I bring him in to the pool with me and he's like on my shoulder right here, I'm carrying him and, uh, and we got like goggles on this kid, right? Like he's just like all terrified of what's going on. Water's like halfway and I'm like slowly lowering a little bit more and, and I start to like put a little bit of water on his head and he's already like starting to hate it. And, uh, and then I had a friend who had told me that, you know, one of the best tricks that you can do is to take the goggles off of the kid, blow in their face, like really hard, and then just dunk them in the water. So I did that. And I heard a sound from my son after like he got through the water in his lungs, right? Just like, ah! And like everybody just started looking at this father-son duo and it was a miracle that I was able to bring Malachi with me outside of the YMCA. And I had another friend who told me that like all you gotta do is just throw your kid in the water and they'll kind of figure it out, right? Well, I'm not that dumb. So like, so this whole thing was going on and it was just this like exchange of where I was like, son, like, I know this is really strange to you. You're gonna be able to put your head underneath the water. You can't open your mouth and breathe it in, but you're gonna really enjoy this at some point in time, all right? And it's gonna feel really good in the summertime. And, and as a young kid, he wasn't able to express to me the, the frustration, the fear, the anxiety that he was experiencing in this moment. And I was getting frustrated as a parent, like we're gonna get through this and we're gonna figure it out. And I remember being in the pool that day and this thought came to my mind and, and truthfully, it's been a thought that I have used as a parent with my kids over and over and over again. Because what I realized is that in that moment, Malachi, of course, was terrified to put his head underneath the water and to swim and all this sorts of stuff. But what was really frustrating for me as his parent was that he was doubting me. And so I remember looking at him and just as a young kid, I told him, Malachi, do you trust me? That's all I kept saying to him. And I'm here to tell you that that didn't work that day. <laughs> but it is something that I continue to tell my kids over and over and over in the anxieties and stresses and fears and suffering of this world, I just keep reminding him, do you trust me on this? 
Do you trust me that I'm not going to put you in a place and a spot that is going to put you in great danger and harm? Yes, you're going to experience suffering. Yes, you will experience pain. It's going to take some time to figure out how to hold your breath underneath the water. But I want you to trust that I know what's best for you in this. And, and as I think about the story of Job, I think about this relationship that is going on here. And yes, Job's suffering is nowhere compared to my son learning how to swim. I get that's a big difference here. And I get the fact that when you think of the suffering and pain that has happened in your life and the stuff that you question God on, I know that it's more than you just want a nicer car or a bigger house. I recognize that there have been things that have happened to us in this world that are severe and deep and our questions of why are justifiable. But I cannot reason it without the thought of God just saying to Job in this moment, were you there when I created and laid the foundations of this earth? Did you make the sun rise today? And God says those things as a moment of saying, do you trust me in this as well? Yes, he is flexing out in this very moment with Job. But I get it. I understand. You might say, you know what? I don't really like that. In fact, what you just touched on is the reason that I believe this whole God thing is just kind of silly. Why would a God allow such horrific things to happen to me and my family? I've had people that that is what holds them back and think that what we're doing here today is absolutely silly and worthless. And if that's you today, I'm just really excited that you would spend a Sunday morning here with us. But I want to point to you something that is so beautiful that God slips in in the midst of this moment. Because what God is saying to Job is a very profound thing and it's very subtle. Not only does he flex out and say how powerful and strong he is, he asks this question of Job as well. He says, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? Will you condemn me, God asked Job, that you may be justified, that you may be right. See, what God asks in this moment, this is so important to hear. I hope you catch this. Literally, he says, God says to Job, must I be condemned that you be justified and made right? And, and what God is pointing to is exactly what he did because thousands of years later God would take on flesh God would come into this world he would become sin condemnation 
for us. People would come and beat him and spit on him and call him a fool for the purpose of not because he was enjoying it, but because he loved you and me so much. He would become condemnation for us. He would die on a cross and he would rise again for you and me. This is what God does. Yes, he flexes out and says, I'm a big deal, but he doesn't just stay there. He also comes with compassion. Says that I will experience condemnation so that you and I would be made right and be put in right relationship with the one who has created all. And so, the story of Job ends after Job repents, and he confesses, he shuts up. And then we read at the very end this statement in Job 42. It says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Depending on if you're a Disney fan or not, like this is, like if you like Disney, you're like, oh, this is so great. It all wrapped up perfectly. <laughs> Fairy tale, all made well. And if you're a little bit like me, you're like, ah, I kind of wish they would have skipped that part. But, but we read here that in the end, the promise is that restoration is going to be made. And And I guess this is the hope that we hold on to as people of faith, as a community of believers. Of course, that restoration doesn't mean that we're going to, you know, hey, my car broke down, I was driving a Honda before, and now I'm driving an Acura. It doesn't mean that that blessing is going to necessarily be seen in the most tangible ways here in this World, but the promise is this that even death, for those who believe and trust in God, there will be a restoration that's bigger and more beautiful than whatever we could imagine that would exist in this world here today. And so, my prayer would be that we would find comfort in the midst of our suffering. That as we do that, we would recognize that God is bigger than us. He is in another category. But he brings restoration by becoming condemnation for you and me. And may we, as a community of believers, find great comfort and joy and trust in him when things are good and when things are challenging as well. Because as Job teaches us, may we too learn how to walk with God in the midst of the storm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who, who's not void of the challenging moments and things of life. 
but promises to work in them. And we don't understand why that happens or necessarily how that happens all the time. But we do know what you have done. And as you said to Job, you would have to be condemned to be made right. And God, those are profound words that we cling to today. So I pray, God, for us that in the midst of our suffering and struggling, that we would be reminded that you are not, you're not void of suffering and struggling, but that you experience that as well. May we find comfort and the hope that you bring, and may that be something that we share out of passion, or rather compassion for others as well. In Jesus' name, amen.